So I've now been a freelancer for a year and I can hardly believe it. I really love being a freelancer. I love working for myself. But one of the biggest burdens that any freelancer has to deal with is that, you know, it's hard to find more time in the day, week, or month to actually grow your business. FreshBooks accounting software saves users up to 192 hours a year because it makes taking care of your books that much easier. If you are a freelancer or a small business, you should absolutely check them out. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day free trial for listeners of Oppo. Go to freshbooks.com slash Oppo and enter OPPO in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Oppo is also brought to you by Entropy, Canada's leader in custom printed t-shirts. Right now, Entropy is offering 50% off of their white Fruit of the Loom heavy cotton tee. You can get any design or any logo on a white tee for half the price. All other t-shirt colors are an extra 15% off. The whiteout sale is only on until February 28th, so hurry over to entropy.com slash whiteout. That's E-N-T-R-I-P-Y dot com slash whiteout. From Canada land, this is Oppo. On this week's show, we're taking a look at the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad week for the leaders of Canada's major political parties. Hey, at least they didn't plagiarize an entire book about journalism. From allegations that Justin Trudeau tried to interfere with a criminal investigation on behalf of one of Quebec's most prized and politically influential companies. To the curious case of the anti-globalist conservative ad that Andrew Scheer does not support. Unless he does, until he doesn't, but maybe he does. And the never-ending saga of Jagmeet Singh and the Venezuelan tankies. Let's get into it. This episode of Oppo is brought to you in part by FreshBooks, the preposterously easy-to-use cloud accounting software. FreshBooks gives you more time by taking care of all the terrible, agonizing, boring accounting details that you keep putting off. How much time? Well, on average, users save about 192 hours per year, and it helps you get paid quicker. That is preposterous. That's preposterous, Jen. It's not preposterous. In fact, I can vouch for FreshBooks myself. I showed my accountant my FreshBooks layout, and she is in love with me now, and I swear to God it's true. You know, it organizes your expenses, it helps you time track, it helps you organize your invoices, and it looks super professional so you look like a grown-up. Does it help me time travel, though? Uh, definitely not, and we wouldn't want you time traveling anyway. <laughs> you cannot be trusted with this power, Justin. <laughs> That's fair. So if you happen to be a freelancer and you're trying to struggle with those god-awful uh, Microsoft Excel sheets, seriously, you should try these guys. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day free trial for listeners of Oppo. Just go to freshbooks.com slash oppo and enter OPPO in the How Did You Hear About Us section. So, Jen, I hear the Prime Minister is going to jail. Oh, fuck off, Justin. Although at this point, I wouldn't totally rule out that some of your drinking buddies might wind up there. No, who will I drink with now? No one named Barry Guts, let me tell you. (laughs) I will say, however, that probably one of the biggest scandals the Liberals have faced to date broke in the Globe this week. And it's pretty difficult to see how heads aren't eventually going to roll over it. Oh, I can see it. I can see heads not rolling everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) For those who missed it, the Globe published a story citing several senior unnamed Liberal sources. They alleged that former Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Rebold was pressured by the Prime Minister's office to cut SNC-Lavalin a deferred prosecution agreement, which would have allowed the company to avoid a criminal corruption trial and continue to bid for billions of dollars in government contracts. These DPAs had actually just been slipped into our legal system through the last omnibus budget bill after really heavy public pressure and lobbying by SNC executives. Well, apparently, and according to the story, Wilson-Raybould refused and totally coincidentally was then just demoted to Veterans Affairs Minister. 
But Justin, we all know there's really nothing to the scandal because as discussed previously in Oppo, Wilson Raybould was really demoted because she was just a terrible justice minister and so very hard to work with, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, nothing to <laughs> yeah, see here. <laughs> okay, so Jen, I, I, I confess, I am definitely in probably the minority in the country right now because I don't think this is going to be something we're going to be talking about in a month. I don't know that the evidence is here that something really nefarious happened. And even if it was slightly improper, I don't know that it rises to the level of criminal charges or breach of trust. Jen, do me a favor. Explain to me why you think this is a scandal that could rock the inner sanctum of the prime minister's office. Well, I got to be honest, being on this side of this fence is a really, really easy gig for me this week because you are so far in the minority on this one that it's pretty much you and Trudeau loyalists uh, in the minority on this one. Look, I don't you like can't... being here. I don't <laughs> like being around these people. <laughs> don't you know? Anyway. Look, it's a scandal because you can't have the prime minister's office improperly interfering with a criminal investigation. That's okay. that's no, that's no, no, the no. scandal here. But let, let's stop and, <laughs> and go through those words. First off, do we know it was improper? No. Do we know it was interference? No. And it's not in the criminal investigation. It's in the criminal prosecution. And, you know, I think. Well, you can't lot... ha- you can't have the prime minister's office interfering with a criminal prosecution either. That's actually illegal. Correct. So just so that we're clear. So. He, but he again, can't... But there's, there's a step between the, the prosecution and the prime minister's office. And that, of course, is the justice minister and the prime minister. Yes. And that's this is what we're going to get into where the scandal is and where the scandal isn't here, because yeah. you're right. It is actually totally appropriate for the prime minister's office to sit down with the justice minister and say, look, here are all the things that we need to consider when making our decision going forward on this particular file. You know, if SNC goes out of business, you know, that's tens of thousands of jobs lost in one of our most important, you know, areas of Montreal and one of our key electoral regions, Quebec. Like they are allowed to have that conversation. And the line between where that conversation becomes influence is a bit of a murky one. Like they're not allowed to say to Jody Wilson Bold, you know, you have to allow these people to cut a DPA. Like they're not allowed to say you absolutely have to do that, but they are allowed to say, hey, look, let's have a let's have a, a conversation about what the longer term implications would be of SNC going under. You know, yeah, like, like right. so it's like there's there's a there's a bit of a balance there. And it's impossible to know right now whether or not the prime minister's office have crossed that line. However, there's certainly a hell of a lot of smoke in this room. And there's a hell of a lot of reasons to be asking questions, because it certainly seems to me that the people who are making this allegation believe that they crossed this line. And her demotion raises a lot of red flags, as well as the timing of how some of this stuff rolled out. You know, let's start with just what the Globe is actually alleging here, right? Because there's, you know, Andrew Scheer, a bunch of conservatives, a bunch, even the NDP, a bunch of people are, you know, are putting their fingers in the air and saying these allegations say, in, in fact, you have to look at what the Globe says. First off, the Globe never alleged, and Bob Fife is very clear about this, they never alleged that she was demoted because of the SNC-Lavalin thing. It is a possibility, obviously, but they're not alleging that. The sources that spoke to the Globe never said that. There's three different words used to describe the conversation between the PMO and Jody Wilson-Raybould. At one point, they say that heavy pressure was put on her. At one point, they say the prime minister's office urged her to sign this DPA. And another time, they say they attempted to press her. Now, 
you're right. With those that that sort of murky language, we don't know where you know whether that crossed the line or got to the line or was far away from the line. We have no idea. But the reality is, these deferred prosecution agreements, they might be new in this respect in, in the law, but these sort of agreements are not especially novel. It's not as though they just invented this concept of cutting a no, break no, the, the, with... The, the, this, is, this is very common in other parts of the world. And like my yeah. issue with the story is not necessarily with the DPAs, just to be clear. I don't yeah. think I don't think a DPA is an inappropriate way of settling. In this case, um, SNC has been accused of engaging in corrupt practices in Libya, for example. And a yeah. DPA maybe is an appropriate route. Okay, that's that's you know maybe the prosecutor would choose to go that route and maybe they wouldn't. To me, that's not the problem, and it's also well, and it's to- important to note that, that you know the Toronto Star reported on Sunday that Andrew Shear was was lobbied by SNC Lavalin on exactly the same issue not long before the Prime Minister's office was, and his office is refusing to say whether or not they actually support this TPA. Right. So, so but here, but so, but also the, the NDP was also lobbied on this. I mean, like yeah, exactly. SNC wasn't even private in their lobbying; like they did public YouTube videos and things to that effect. I mean, Paul Wells sort of laid that out in in his recent column in McLean's. Like there was nothing, there's nothing wrong with SNC lobbying. So, but that's not what we're claiming the scandal is here. Nobody's claiming the scandal is in the DPAs. Nobody's claiming the scandal is that SNC lobbied the government in order to try and get itself out of criminal prosecution. That's all status quo orders of business. What would be inappropriate and where the scandal is being alleged is that the PMO for political reasons, inappropriately tried to interfere in, in that decision-making process at, at the justice minister, e.g., and prosecutorial level. Again, level. we don't know. We, we don't no, know. Who's we don't know that, but it's a serious allegation and a potentially a criminal allegation as well. But that's all we know. That's all we know. Yeah, We're still right. going to see as the story plays out where this goes. There are a couple of things here that should be raising some yellow flags for people who really, really want to see this as a scandal. The first is, I mean, we discussed previously in Oppo that Jody Wilson-Rebold was not a particularly popular justice minister and had flubbed all these files. There's two ways to look at this. One, you could look at it as, yes, she was really bad at her job, and maybe this SNC decision was a factor in the fact that she was demoted. Maybe it wasn't a factor in the fact that she was demoted. We don't know that at this point. You know, I don't think there was probably any one reason why she was demoted. I think there were probably a whole bunch of different reasons. But if the SNC stuff played any role in it, and let's also point out that her replacement, Lametti, is from Montreal, that, that also strikes me as a pretty convenient little coincidence there. But anyway, I was teasing you previously about the fact that you had kind of talked about how Jody Wilson-Rebold was this absolutely terrible justice minister. And, you know, about the time that she was demoted, there was this whole big narrative going around about how awful she was and how these insiders were unsurprised that she was getting demoted. And now, in hindsight, it's pretty easy to look back on that and say, okay, but how much of that was legit? And how much of that was a smear campaign that was, you know, being fed to a lot of people in the media in order to create a plausible scenario around her demotion? I don't know what the answer to that question is. Like, you know, it could be both. Mm-hmm. But I think it's fair to sort of ask, you know, did you get played, son? Oh, I know I didn't because the people who were telling me that they wanted to get Jody Wilson-Raybould out of that job and possibly out of cabinet were telling me that last summer, months and months and months before this conversation about the deferred prosecution agreement even began, before the budget bill was even tabled. So the suggestion that, you know, there are spinners out there trying to prep for her imminent firing is wildly wrong because this is not what happened. Now, I will say, I will say, I don't think Jody Wilson-Raybould was fired just because she was a bad justice minister. The reality is... Every piece of legislation the justice minister tabled 
goes through cabinet and caucus. You know, it's right. not as though the prime minister can be like, oh, well, she's she's out running her own show. Those are government bills. Yeah. I do think that she had a, a you know a lack of vision and she she signed off on some stuff that probably didn't get vetted enough around the cabinet table and caused forced errors for the government that they didn't need. That was part of it, I think. But truth be told, I think probably the main reason she got fired was because she was going around the country bashing her own government's work on the reconciliation file with indigenous people. Which if is I had to in point and of to... itself really interesting, right? Oh, like... super interesting. You know, if that's the reason she was fired, I think that's obscene. You know, I tend to think it's for the best that she was moving to that job because, again, I think the legislation she was introducing was unconstitutional and bad. Yeah. But if the prime minister fired her because she was criticizing her own government, that is also bad. You know, everyone totally. can be shitty here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's possible so, for everyone to suck. So in the possibility, the scenario that I actually want to talk about and, and raise here is the possibility that, you know, the actual source for this Globe story was Jody Wilson-Ribold herself, that she was angry about being demoted. And so she basically went to the Globe and was like, I got demoted because I was trying to do the right thing on SNC-Lavalin and the PMO's office is awful and corrupt. I don't know that that's the case. Just to be totally clear, I don't know who the sources are on these stories. I'm I'm not privy to that, and of course I wouldn't be. But I think that's a scenario that you have to consider when you're judging the validity of the scandal. Oh, for sure. I tend to think it's actually SNC-Lavalin who's the source. If I had to throw a dart at a board and, you know, trying to guess other people's sources is a wild uh, and, yeah, and impossible not, job. Yeah, exactly. This but is fun. a dumb it's exercise to do, but I, I will do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it was SNC-Lavalin. I think, I think they basically, you know, saw uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould as a barrier to them getting this deferred prosecution agreement. They saw her getting turfed from cabinet and they leaked the story to put pressure on the new justice minister to to do exactly what his predecessor well, wouldn't do. Well, that was do. stupid. Oh my God. If it was them, this has backfired so badly. But let me throw this out there. This is also a lobbying firm that was stupid enough to be doing business with Muammar Gaddafi at the height of the Libyan civil war. So. so let's not rule out the possibility of incredible stupidity. The other thing that should be raising some yellow flags is the question of why didn't Jody Wilson-Ribold resign? If she was being improperly pressured by the PMO to, you know, basically cut SNC a deal, then her actual ethical obligation then would have been to resign in protest. And then certainly, like even now, she's still in cabinet. You know, there are some real questions about whether or not if this story is as cut and dry as it, as it all seems, why hasn't she resigned since then? And I'll give you my, you know, my grand theory, which is that this is not a big fucking deal, not even for her. You know, I, I think there's a real possibility. I, I think it's intensely likely that the conversation was had and Jody Wilson-Raybould said, fuck off. I'm I'm not doing that. I don't want to go through the channels necessary to tell the PPSC, uh, the Public Prosecution Service of Canada, to do this, which actually has its own mechanisms and its own safeguards in place. That the Prime Minister's office said, OK, fine, continue to not be a team player. She gets shuffled out. But right now she's sitting in you know this junior minister's job going... I'm going to work my way back up. I'm going to rehabilitate my reputation and I'm going to go back to being a great minister. And then ultimately, you know, this, I think, relatively minor thing is not weighing on her that heavy. You know, I don't think. I think that scenario is so implausible at this point. I mean, at this point, you have the PMO essentially throwing Jody Wilson Ribold under the bus by claiming that it was her that was claiming wanting these uh, meetings with uh, Jerry Butts on SNC. So like, I don't I don't think that makes her look bad at all. She has no future in the Liberal Party in cabinet. Like, that's uh, I don't know about like, that. She has to know that. I think she's being a team player here. My read of the situation is that she's kind of uh, hushing up and that they're all trying to let this blow over. I don't think that she's being a team player at all. If she were being a team player, then what would ha- what would have actually have happened here is the Liberals would have waived a certain degree of client um, solicitor privilege. She would have come out and straight up just denied the Globe report and the whole scandal would have died two days ago. 
if she had come out and started trying to define exact conversations that happened, there would be just an unholy war over semantics about what got said, what didn't get said. No, but she could have come out, issued a one-line press statement saying, the Globe has this wrong, this did not happen, end of story, and the scandal would be dead. Like, you can't necessarily read into anything with the fact that 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 hasn't happened, but it was an option that could have happened it didn't. So here's where we get to the flip side of all of this, where, to me, the liberals' behavior is really eyebrow-raising. Because what we have is a total flat denial of the Globe story, followed by a follow-up Globe story saying, well, yes, there were discussions, but, you know, it didn't really meet the standard of influence. We have the Liberals absolutely blocking and denying any kind of independent investigation into any of this. And they've chosen not to waive privilege for Jody Wilson-Rebold. So she actually can't clarify, she can't come forward, and she can't defend herself. So here's the two, couple of scenarios where either the Liberals think that this is really just an Ottawa bubble story that's going to blow over, which you seem to assign your belief to. Or you know, the other option is that there's literally just so much dirt here that they have no other choice. They have to go hardcore on this and just hope that the whole thing doesn't blow up until Election Day, you know, eight, nine months from now. I just don't see it. I don't think Jody Wilson-Raybould wants to be out there playing defense on this. And I, you know, I think when the prime minister's office decided not to allow this investigation in the, uh, at the Justice Committee, when they decided not to you know, waive her attorney-client privilege, I think she was in on those conversations. I don't think this is happening above her head. I, you know, if I had to guess, I would say that she wants to avoid getting dragged into this just as much as the prime minister's office does. Because again, we have to really talk about the stakes here. You know, it is intensely likely that the public prosecution service is going to go for this deferred prosecution agreement anyway. You know, SNC-Lavalin is- If they do that, they will hand the conservatives their campaign platform if the DPA gets granted at this point. I mean, literally on a silver platter. Well, we also know that the conservatives would also likely sign the deferred prosecution agreement as well. If the scandal hadn't come to light, yeah, maybe they would have. But, you know, if wishes were fishes, we all would have meat. I mean, come on. The scandal has come to light. The scenario, the political scenario and calculus has changed. And you but can't pretend th- that it hasn't. this is the reason the Public Prosecution Service is independent. Yeah, well, it might allegedly, look bad, but the reality is... That's the problem, isn't it? No, 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 no. The independence of the PBSC has never been an issue. The Prime Minister's office did not go to the PBSC. Well, we can no longer have a lot of faith in that position, now can we? Whoa, that's so wrong. The Prime Minister's office... There's no allegation the Prime Minister's office went to the Public Prosecution Service. They wanted Jody Wilson-Raybould to exercise the authority she has to go to the Public Prosecution Service. She didn't. Which she would have had to have done in writing if she'd chosen to do That's it. That's correct. She would have had to put in the Canada Gazette. I will just say this. Justin, I would like to get you on the record basically making the prediction that this scandal goes nowhere. Can we please get that in a nice clippable format that I can with? use against you? No, no, no. no, no. It has to be with the caveat that there's nothing. There's no other shoe to drop. If Fife has some other huge scoop, he's just confirming right now. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Don't be chicken shit. Don't be chicken shit. No, this scandal no. is going nowhere. Say it. Say it. If there's no new information that shows culpability in the prime minister's office, yeah, this scandal's going nowhere. Excellent. Really looking forward to bringing that up over the next nine months. Okay, well, and if I am right, I'm bringing this up eight months from now when we've completely forgotten about it. And I will go, <laughs> hey, Jen, remember the SNC Lavalin thing? You'd be like, no, no, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> I like beer. I like drinking beer. And I like drinking beer with my friends like PJ and Snuffy. Well, this episode of Oppo is brought to you by Small Batch Dispatch, the craft beer of the month club with a portfolio of 30 breweries across Ontario. They deliver exclusive beer that you won't find in any LCBO beer store or outside the breweries themselves, and they deliver to anywhere in Canada. Pick your own beers in the bottle shop or get an exclusive curation of at least eight different beers with no less than seven different breweries every month. It's great as a gift, great for yourself, great for a tasting party with your friends like PJ and Snuffy. 
Buying from Small Batch Dispatch means you are supporting local breweries and helping create jobs in Ontario. And right now, there's a special offer for the listeners of Oppo. Visit smallbatchdispatch.com and enter the discount code OPPO at checkout for 10% off any order. So, Jen, as the opposition pounces on Trudeau for, again, whatever the SNC-Lavalin thing is, I feel like we moved off too quickly one truly hilarious saga. So, for weeks, the Conservative Party was running a Google ad that you can only describe as completely fucking unhinged. And, Jen, I want you to read it because it just brings me so much joy how stupid this ad is. Stop Justin Trudeau! He's signing away our borders. Help us say, all caps, NO! Canada's border crisis is about to get worse. Justin Trudeau is letting a foreign entity take control of our borders. Get your voice heard. Spread the message. Sign here. That is some Infowars shit. But here's the thing. When the Globe and Mail started asking about that ad, the Conservative Party tried to denounce it. They tried to denounce their own ad. They ended up coming out of it pretty clean because the Globe and Mail ran the headline, Conservatives renounce Google ad that spread false border claim, as though it was someone else's ad. No, it was their ad. They ran an ad. They paid for it. They wrote it. They put it on the internet. They left it there for weeks. And then when people called attention to it, they tried to pretend (laughs) that some anonymous force started running this ad on their behalf. The the conservative spokesperson told the Global Mail, quote, that doesn't accurately reflect our position and the ad is not running, which is hilarious because it was running and it does reflect their position. The conservative party has gone completely bug eyed about this U.N. migration compact. And this is the, the oats they've sown. Yes, Justin, right? I, you, w- I would. Uh, you do so oats. Yes, that's what you do. Uh, Justin, I would just like to point out that I think it's beyond hilarious that you think that, like, you know, an allegation that the prime minister's office knifed their first First Nations justice minister because she wouldn't play nice with one of the most allegedly corrupt companies in Canada is like a you giant. Don't know any of that. That's why I said alleged. Uh, is a giant non-story, but you're going to like get really passionate about a about a conservative Google ad. I never said it was a non-story. <laughs> I I think the Globe Mail story was crackerjack. I just don't think it's going to be a story for a long time, uh, and, and I don't want to keep talking you. about this Let ad it go. for the next four. I'm teasing you, let it go. Because I actually kind of agree with you. And this was one of the major concerns that I have with some of the conservatives positioning and messaging. I mean, I I wrote about this in a a recent McLean's column about, you know, what's wrong with the conservatives. And my issue with them, like, here's my thing. I think that if you're a conservative or in the NDP or whatever, it's absolutely a fair game to have a rational, grounded policy discussion about border crossers or immigration policy or whatever. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you cross the line into conspiracy theory, the UN Global Migration Pact is going to erase our borders and eliminate our sovereignty level shit, you've now entered into, you know, the twilight zone. And, and you know, I say this in my column back then, that like the problem with conspiracy theories is that they're a bit of like an intellectual disease. Like they eat away yeah. at the intellectual immune system that a person has. So if you, once you start accepting some degree of conspiracy theory in your into the inner sanctum of your what should be pretty grounded policy discussions, it becomes really easy to start accepting more conspiracy theories, right? Like, and my, that's my issue with this, is that if you're willing to start saying things like, the, you know, the UN's out to erase Canadian sovereignty and borders or imply as much, you know, where does that stop? You know, there's a lot of crazy shit, QAnon level, batshit nutty stuff out there that is swirling around the alt-right quasi-conservative meme-verse. And if you're willing to go here, why not go there? And if you're willing to go there, why not go there? And if you're willing to go there, why not go there? Once you kind of start down that conspiracy theory path, it becomes a really hard path to get off of. And 
That's my fear with where the conservatives are going here. I totally feel you. And, you know, what really bugs me is that, like, what was so bad about conservatism for the last several decades that we've just, like, that the party has decided to abandon where they were standing before and move into this weird, creepy territory of screaming about, you know, the the globalist elites who want to erase our borders. Like, you know, when's the last time Andrew Scheer really focused on, like, the deficit? Like, I, I like him. I like hearing him talk about the deficit. It's like you're spending so much time freaking out about these things that only seem to drive engagement and donations from it's culture the worship. yellow vest crowd. It, it is. It's got I mean, nothing it's, to do with actual even ideological position or conservatism. It's just culture war posturing. That's all it is. Yeah, and it, it's just unnecessary. I mean, Andrew yeah. Scheer could easily be beating Justin Trudeau right now if he were to, I think, occupy a more reasonable position in the traditional conservative space. Like, I don't know, are they listening to Stephen Harper hawking his book, talking about how can, like old conservative parties need to put on like a backwards cap and talk about nationalism? Like, I don't, I don't get it. That wasn't quite what the book says, but <laughs> that's what he said in all his interviews. So he told Ben no, Shapiro. That's not quite right. But anyway, let's while we're talking about culture war posturing, I think that is a really good segue into the conversation about what's happening with Maxime Bernier's still highly fringe People's Party. The Toronto Star recently had a great article where they delved into the party's sort of weird symbiosis with the alt-right. Uh, it's absolutely worth checking out. I mean, anybody who's sort of paying attention to what that party's doing on Twitter and is even vaguely familiar with what's happening in alt-right online circles cannot help but notice that this party is playing to some pretty dark, pretty chaotic bases. The Star gets into it. More recently, you know, um, Bernier defended his right-hand man after allegations of anti-Semitism, misogyny, and racism. You know, the right-hand guy who everybody kind of presumes is actually writing these tweets, you know, wrote for, I believe, a Quebec libertarian paper and said things that, according to Benai Brith, were pretty anti-Semitic and pretty awful. So, you know, worth keeping an eye out on that stuff. In my mind, I don't really think that Andrew Scheer is going to the UN compact stuff. I mean, he can't be going to the compact stuff because he sees Bernier as a threat. This party is still well, so bloody fringe. It's th- th- so minor right. at this point. You, Bernier should really be a cautionary tale for Andrew Scheer because, you know, Maxime Bernier, you know, when he first came out of the gate with his own party, actually had a lot of Canadians interested. There was, you know, a good chunk, maybe, you know, Online, 15, maybe. 20%. No, no, but no, 15, 20% of the country who, who told pollsters, yeah, I would consider voting for Maxime Bernier. Very quickly, that number dwindled down to like 1% because people have realized he's nuts. And this all right, you know, corner of the internet has a disproportionate footprint on political conversation because the internet kind of exaggerates their size. And I think Maxine Bernier is now learning that, yeah, they have a bit of money, that, yeah, they'll, you know, show up with their yellow vests on, but ultimately they only command, you know, again, 1% of the voting electorate. I mean, this is this goes into the conversation about Twitter more broadly and, and the reason why you can't look at what's happening on Twitter and read into what's happening into a broader electorate. Because Twitter is so fringe and the most extreme voices, you're right, have an utterly disproportionate um, footprint there, right? So yeah, it's, it's interesting. Just because the guy can get, you know, 10,000 likes on some nasty tweet doesn't mean that he actually has meaningful engagement or support on the ground. And I think one of the big criticisms of Bernie has always been, you know, he talks a good game, he plays a good air war, but the organization doesn't have a lot, a lot of organizational capacity. Let, let me caution that because, you know, there have been some suggestions that he actually is building electoral district associations across the country with, you know, a sizable, you know, number of volunteers and staff. Over one weekend, they raised $300,000, which is rivaling the NDP. That, that is NDP level money. <laughs> That's a shameful comment on the NDP. But anyway, we actually put in a request to talk uh, to Maxine Bernay. We actually would really like to have him on the show. So, you know, if any of his flacks are listening, uh, come on up. Oh. 
speaking of shameful displays by the NDP, Venezuela. (laughs) So the NDP have absolutely been kicking themselves in the shin for weeks now over the ongoing crisis in Venezuela. If you haven't really been following, uh, Nicolas Maduro, the president of Venezuela, is basically now bunkered into his palace as the rest of the world has recognized the acting president, Juan Guaido, as, as the president of Venezuela. This is a power struggle between the man who rigged an election to basically try to cling to power in a country that is facing mass food shortages, inflation of a million percent, millions of people in the street protesting his rule, and Juan Guaido, this guy who, you know, we didn't really know much about until recently, but who is kind of the face of the opposition in the National Assembly, a guy who actually does have some level of a democratic mandate and who's now trying to push Maduro out. Now, there is a lot to unpack here, but suffice it to say, there's a bunch of people out there who are skeptical of the the attempt to get Maduro out of office. And I get some of that. You know, the CIA probably killed Salvador Allende. We know that the CIA has done some shitty stuff in South America and have funded death squads, you know, the Iran-Contra. You know, we don't have to litigate decades of, of Cold War stupidity. But what is killing me about this is that the NDP, you know, which is trying to be a professional political force in this country, hasn't just expressed skepticism. It has lurched back and forth between, you know, very like ultra globalist, the West is trying to stop socialism in South America and install a puppet regime to having, you know, the more reasonable folks in his party, you know, say actually, you know, Canada should be a productive force on the global stage and we should be recognizing a democratically elected guy as opposed to a despot. Oh, to have them swing all the way back and have Jugmeet Singh come out and say basically nothing. It, it has been a complete disaster for weeks. And I'm just bummed out about it. Like Jugmeet Singh is a guy with a bunch of ideas who just seems to have no idea what he's doing. Look, you class traitor. <laughs> we all know that what's happening in Venezuela, right? That the Venezuelan socialist regime has been wonderful for the Venezuelan people and uh, has not allowed the corporate kleptocratic elite to massively enrich themselves at the benefit of the people at all. And we are also quite aware that these uh, protests of millions of people in the street is really just, you know, staged interventionism by the U.S. <laughs> because they just want to get in there for Venezuelan oil. I mean, that's that's I've read enough adbusters in the 90s to know <laughs> that that is what's really going on <laughs> here. Firstly. Secondly, Maduro is a democratically elected leader. So, you know, what business is it of ours? I mean, that's basically the NDP position. And it's so, listen, I'm fine. If people on, there's a whole bunch of tankies on Twitter who do take exactly that approach, Jen, and fine. Someone has to represent the tankies and today it's going to be me. You know, I find it morally objectionable because, you know, it's very easy to sit here in Canada and to to, to say, oh, no, 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 uh, we can't let the socialist project started by Hugo Chavez fall like this because we, you know, the Communist Party of Canada class uh, need somewhere to point to to say that socialism is still alive and well to hell with the people who are starving in the streets. This is all America's fault, you know. Great. Good for you guys. But the NDP should have the good sense to either just keep your mouth fucking shut or to take a reasonable position and stick with it. Because you have Helen Lavardier, who is the foreign affairs critic, coming out with a perfectly reasonable statement, expressing some skepticism of American involvement in South America, which is wise. You've seen John Bolton walking around with a notebook suggesting they're going to send troops to Colombia, which would be fucking crazy. But at the same time... Look, you imperialist fucking war dog. 
I'll have you no know. One's sending no sending troops. I'll no have one's you know. Troops. I'll have well, not yet, but we all know that's coming. All right. I'll have you know that four <laughs> Canadian unions, according to the National Post, four Canadian unions helped fund a private delegation to observe the last Venezuelan presidential election, and they found that the election uh. of Maduro was totally above board. In fact, it was excellent, so good that one of those delegates even said that Canada can, I quote learn a lot from the way that elections are conducted in Venezuela. Just because Maduro didn't allow two neoliberal capitalist pigs to who were popular to run against him and, you know, jailed a bunch of his opponents <laughs> who were probably all vicious plutocrats anyway and didn't deserve to run in a democratically elected socialist utopia, does not mean that Maduro is illegitimate. And just because we don't like him in the rest doesn't mean that he should be deposed or opposed in any way. You're terrifyingly good at playing the tanky, Jen. I'm starting to wonder if this is really it's, you. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> what if the other Jen, what if the neoliberal Jen is actually the sock puppet? He knew that this was coming. <laughs> I've seen so many people come out with this narrative. Oh, the elections were, were, were you know totally fine just because the opposition didn't want to run. Of course, the opposition was disqualified from running. Many of them were in prison. Many of them were facing threats against their lives or their families' lives. The ability for people to just sit and read, you know, Sputnik News, uh, Russia Today, and Telesur and decide that the world is a certain way is just mind-boggling. I mean, you know, Again, we don't have to support armed intervention into Venezuela. You, can, you know, and I'm even sympathetic to the idea. Where that- is your healthy skepticism of only Western media? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and also, I, look, I, I gotta, I, I gotta be honest here. Just because uh, Maduro's people at the last minute changed polling stations out of opposition-heavy <laughs> areas in Venezuela and insisted that people, you know, swipe their ration cards in order to vote does not mean that he was engaged in illegitimate vote buying. You know, I just really respect that, you know, the the Venezuelan regime is allowing some of its citizens bread and water in the first place. Jen, you you forgot about the time where uh, the opposition won control of the National Assembly. So Maduro just created a new National Assembly and wouldn't let the real National Assembly sit and then stack the Electoral Commission and the Supreme Court with his cronies so that any challenges to the election couldn't actually be adjudicated. But he's got socialist in the name, Justin. That means he's a good guy. Only the capitalists (laughs) can be evil, all right? It's how this fucking works. Uh, it bums me out, and, and you know what? I, I get it. Like I, again, I'm trying to I'm trying to be a little bit fair to the tankies here because, um, you know, I think there was a moment when Hugo Chavez really was leading something, uh, you know, post-American uh, sphere of influence in South America. The problem is he fucked it up and he overspent and he squandered his oil wealth and didn't foresee the idea that oil prices could go down. He fucked it up. It's not necessarily an indictment of socialism. You can say Maduro got to go and still support socialism. In fact, Juan Guaido is a socialist. He's a social democrat. His party is in the Socialist International. Justin, you can't support socialism if you don't support socialists. Okay, I'm just gonna end <laughs> off. I'm just gonna end Hashtag off. Believe all socialists. <laughs> I'm just gonna end off this conversation by quoting the rabble.ca representative who said that the last election should be considered, quote unquote, an international gold standard. I cannot. You can't argue with that, man. I look forward to hearing from all the tankies on Twitter. Well, I'm glad that there was someone here to finally represent their views. Okay.
So, Jen, we are now, what, nine months away from a federal election, and I'm already fucking exhausted? I mean, is this the pace that we're going to be at for the next, you know, better part of a year? Just screaming about SNC-Lavalin, uh, crazy dog whistles to anti-immigration nut jobs, and Jugmeet Singh just bungling everything? Yes, and don't pretend you don't love it, you hipster. Spare me your performative exhaustion, okay? Like, this is what we fucking live for. <laughs> I will say, we, we ignored the other parties in this show because, honestly, they've had pretty good weeks. The Green Party and the Bloc Quebecois are both doing all right. Elizabeth May is on a national tour right now. Her poll numbers are pretty good. She could actually pick up a couple seats on the next election. And by the next election, there could be a green government and PEI. Meanwhile, the Bloc Quebecois is having a huge rebound in the polls that nobody can explain. So, fuck knows. And the good news in all of this is at least the conservatives are going to have something to talk about besides immigration in the coming election. I actually think that's kind of promising. If they can go in hard on corruption and scandal, that is better for the country. That's better for everybody. I actually agree with that. I would much rather hear about SNC-Lavalin for the next nine months than hear about the UN Migration Compact. <laughs> so honestly, Andrew, keep doing what you're doing. Love it. That's it for Oppo. We'll be back in two weeks. Get in touch with us at oppo at canadalandshow.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook at OppoCast to let us know what you think. Tune in to comments next week as they continue their look at corruption across the country. This episode was produced by David Crosby for Canada Land Media. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton and the theme music was by Nathan Burley. I have the last word this week and that word is imperialism. We're going to play you out on the Conservative Party's awful, terrible, so embarrassing Heritage Minute ad that they had to pull and then put back out and pull and vote. Oh, mess. Anyway, enjoy this monstrosity. In over 150 years, Canada has had many prime ministers leading many governments. Some prime ministers were good, some great, but never had one been fined for breaking the law while in office. Until one day. Uh, I have... Um, uh, uh, not only did Justin Trudeau break the law, he set an example for his cabinet. They would go on to be questioned by the Ethics Commissioner for failing to disclose an entire French villa they owned, giving a $24 million fishing license to their own family members, and blowing $3,700 of taxpayers' money on a limousine ride from a campaign volunteer. We work, uh, we, just try to reorder, reorder the thoughts. We, um, Canada had never seen a government break so many federal ethics and conflict of interest laws before. Justin Trudeau had made history, unfortunately. <laughs>